This is the Bob McCallum Podcast, and it's brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. I'm Bob McCallum. John Shannon is with us as usual. Well, did you watch the Lakers and the Raptors last night? How could you miss it? Holy smokes. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the other the amazing thing, Bob, to me is is the amount of and and we can talk about the officiating, and I'm sure we will when Doug Smith shows up. Um, but the amount of points being scored in the NBA these days, you know, it wasn't that long time ago that we were talking about a, a league that was a hundred point league. And here we are last night, you know, 200 and more than 260 points scored between the two teams. The amount of offense in the NBA right now is spectacular. Or maybe the lack of defense. Yeah. Well, I'm a cup half full guy. You're a cup half empty guy. Not necessarily. I just don't know why there's so many points right now. Many years ago, when the three-point line was first uh, put in, the Denver Nuggets had a ridiculous year. They scored 140 points a game or something like that. Everybody thought they were crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think you could put that, but that was basically one team. Right. And maybe you could put it they had a great shooting year and they had talented players. But this is across the league to, right now. Well the, well, the amount of skill that we've seen with NBA players um, from outside the line is spectacular. And, and, you know, how many times last night did you see some penetration and then throw the ball back out to try for the three-point shot? I mean, it was, you know, you're, they, were at the, they were at the rim and they'd throw the ball back out. So what's the point? Well, the point is, is that is that you know the whole concept of the game has changed now. The whole concept of you know, are you worried about going inside? Um, you, you're not. You're not near as concerned about going into the hoop and going to going to the hoop as you are making sure you have a a, a free three to go to and, and and get extra points. That to me, that to me is the biggest difference. Well, um, I don't know what the difference is. I can't. I don't see any strategic difference in the way the game is played. All I see is a lot of points. Well, let's, oh, I tell you what, let's, uh, let's ask our pal Doug Smith when we come back. Okay. Doug Smith next on the podcast. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for betrivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the bet rivers sports and casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime plus get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options and get ready to feel like a vip because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make you must be 19 plus available in ontario only please play responsibly if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you contact connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back. McCowan's there. Shannon's here. Joined uh, and how he gets the boondoggle of all boondoggles to go to California. Doug Smith of the Toronto Star is following the Toronto Raptors after their rather uh, 
I, I, I'm going to say controversial loss last night at crypto.com. You, you call it controversial, Doug? Yeah, it was uh, was poorly officiated, no question about it. And it sent Darko Ryakovich off on a great post-game rant, so it was eventful. Yeah, it was, <laughs> they, they, I don't know whether they, they would have won the game or should have won the game. They played well enough to win, but the, the refereeing was the story, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, before we get deep into the game, we should probably – we have not talked to you uh, in, in great depth since the trade, uh, since what's happened and uh, the makeup of this uh, basketball club has changed a little bit. Uh, are you a, a quickly and Barrett fan? Is it the right move? Has it done the right thing? It's done the right thing in a couple of different ways. I think, guys, it, uh, it balanced out the two units with the Raptors. They got two new starters in quickly and Barrett and the bench is now stronger with Schroeder and Gary Trent coming off. Uh, so I think that's helped. It, it, I don't know. Somebody had something had to give with that 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 first group, and I thought it, I thought the first domino would be Siakam. The first one was Ananobi, but for what they dealt away, basically Ananobi and two guys who are never going to play here, they got two starters and a draft pick. So I think the return was pretty pretty significant for the Raptors. So is uh, Pascal the next to go, or is he does he stay? Do you think? I today I think he's going to go. Yesterday I thought he was going to stay. It, it's that kind of fluid. <laughs> it's that kind of fluid nature around these guys because I, I think personally I think they should extend him. I think, but because I, I think once you get him on a contract extension, you know the number that you're trading him to. You know what his salary is. Um, but I'm not sure he's going to want to do that. Maybe he wants to uh, test free agency in the summer. So maybe you got to move him in the next three and a half weeks just to get something back. Uh, so today, I think he's going to go. Tomorrow, I think he might want to stay. It's going to be fluid up until February 8th, the trade deadline. Uh, we always try and anticipate what a general manager will want in return. I think it's clear to see right now, with the Pirtle injury, that the Raptors need another center. Don't you agree? They need another big guy. Somehow, yeah, they do. But I think if they deal Siakam, what they got to get is his replacement. They got to get a cheaper right. power forward to fill in that starting role. I, I do think they're a little bit thin at center. Obviously, they got you know they don't like to use Boucher out there all that much. The Jonte Porter kid is okay, serviceable for a few minutes. But I think if you're trading Siakam, you're looking for uh, a replacement power forward, another rotational player at center, and a couple of draft picks. And I think that. Without him being under contract, that might be the best you're going to get for him. Just uh, uh, to Bob's point, uh, per, the pertle injury, long term, where, where, what, what, what are they saying? They're going to re-examine a sprained ankle pretty severely. Going to re-examine him in a couple of weeks, so you're looking three weeks before he's back playing again. You know, it takes you know, two weeks before they even look at him again, and then if he's ready, then it's a week to ramp up to get back to playing time. So you're, you're looking, I would say, a month before he plays again. Do you think that they expedite the uh, Siaka move because of the pearl injury? No, I don't think so. I, I know that there would be a, re, uh, a sense that they might want to overreact a little bit and fill that in, but they know Siakam's or that Pirtle's going to come back. So I don't think it will necessarily change their asking price. I think if they could get a center, great, but I don't think it will impact the ultimate decision whether or not to move Siakam. Okay. Uh, actually, I, the way Siakam has been playing, it, it, to me, 
And, and shooting, by the way, that the way he was shooting from the corner last night in the second half was pretty impressive. Um, well, he's playing great. You see, shooting like shooting like sixty three percent from three point range in the last six or seven games, and he's getting yeah. twenty five points a night. He's playing really, really well. But the big deal is if you trade for him and he doesn't sign, hasn't signed a contract extension, then you got to worry about whether he will resign with you in the summer. And then. I've been told he made it very clear to Sacramento that he would not sign there in the summer. So that changed the package they were going to offer the Raptors and it wasn't good enough. So, you know, that's the complicating factor in this whole thing. But there's no indication that Siakam doesn't want to stay in Toronto. Is there? Oh, no, not at all. In fact, I think he'd prefer to stay. I think he loves it here. He loves being with the Raptors. He has always told me that he would like to play as much of his career as possible with the team that drafted him. And I don't think he's not clamoring for a trade. Right. Uh, I, I think he and Scotty Barnes play well together. I think that was a big question going into this year, but they're both having great seasons. So obviously that works. So I don't think he wants to go anywhere. Uh, and, and so, but do, do you get a, Doug, do you get a sense that management is trying to hedge their bets with him or they, they don't want to pay him what he's going to be? do in the summertime where, where where where's the appetite within management for for Seattle maybe they'd like to get him back but I don't think they certainly don't want to go to five full years because that's nobody gives five-year contracts anymore and you know you don't want you don't know what a 35 year old Pascal Siakam is going to look like he's 20 you're going to be 30 when he signs so it's a big it's a big commitment they also got to look at they're going to have to pay Barnes they're going to have to pay quickly uh, in the next year or so they're going to they're be on the hook for a lot of money. And whether they want to add to that with Siakam at $45 million plus, uh, that that's a long-term financial commitment that I'm not sure management wants to make right now. I was just going to ask you the question, is term more than dollars? But I think you've answered the question. <laughs> yeah, I think if, they could get him, if they could get him on a deal where like a three-year contract with maybe a player option for a fourth or two years and, and three, two years and an option, then I'm sure they would do it. But if you're Siakam, why would you? Why wouldn't you wait in the, until the summer and see what you can get for four years out there from some other team? Well, and particularly when he's seen other players on this roster go and do that, right? Like yeah. Van Vliet. And it's not like there won't, there won't be options out there for him. I can think of one where he might be a good fit would be Orlando. Another place he might be a really good fit is San Antonio. Both the team, both teams have enough salary cap space. They can just make an offer to him. They don't have to trade right. for him. They can wait till the summer and do their deal then. Oh, I think there probably would be 20 teams that would take a look at him. Oh, for sure. It's just Seriously. a matter of teams would have the $39 million or whatever the number is to start the contract. But yeah, he's right. a, you know, the guy's a two-time All-NBA player. He's really, really good. I think that gets lost in a lot of the conversations about him is that he's an exceptionally, he might be, well, he's certainly a top five Raptor all time. Yeah. He's a very, very good player. Oh, and I mean, look, at I know that, uh, a championship is a long way away for the Raptors. But if you're going to build a championship team, what you need is two or three great players. Most championship teams have that. And Siakam is the one proven championship-type guy the Raptors have. Absolutely. You need an old head who's been there, and he's been there. Yeah, he was a key, He's a key player in that team that won in 2019. He's really, really right. important player on the team. And he can help these younger players, the Barretts, Quickly's, Barnes's, 
he can help them along during a long playoff run if they get to one in the next two or three years. The, the, the fascination is that 29 years old, I think he's 30 in April, um, he's an old dog now. Yeah, and the, I, with, with, I, particularly with this team that has skewed so much younger so quickly. Longest serving Raptor. I think there's only him, Gary Trent, and Chris Boucher left from the team that played in Tampa three years ago. Wow. And I think there's only him and Boucher left from the team that won a championship in 2019. The interesting but, thing is, do we still think of 30 as an old player? Well, he's Siakam's been very durable. He hasn't been yes. hurt up a lot. He absolutely takes care of his body. He's one of those guys who understands nutrition, rehab, rest, diet, um, uh, weightlifting, lifestyle. Uh, he, he's he's really uh, cognizant of what he has to do to stay healthy, to play at a very high level. Well, what we're seeing around sports in general, I think of the NFL. You know, we just had a 45-year-old quarterback in New England who just retired. But before, if you go back before I mean, that, you mean you mean Tampa? You're not New England, Tampa. Well, I'm in Tampa, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, if you go before that, the last forty plus year old guy in the NFL that I can remember was Lou Groza, and he's with the Cleveland <laughs> Browns, like 40, 50 years ago, and now you've got all kinds of thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty-year-old guys still playing football. And playing very well. You know, most of them are quarterbacks, I acknowledge, but still, I think we are really seeing the days where you you look you can look at a 30 or 32 or 34 year old player and not think of them as old, right? Oh, absolutely. It, it's got to do with nutrition, off court stuff, uh, weightlifting, training, lifestyle. And players understand you can make a ton of money in your 30s. Like, right. You can make like stupid money. You know, Steve Nash was had his best years after he turned 30. Look around the NBA right now. Who are the best players? LeBron's going crazy at 38. Um, Kevin Durant's still really good. Steph Curry's 35. The age now is so is skewing so much older that giving a guy a contract who's gonna be 35 to me isn't a big deal. Right. Because that guy, if that guy's that good, he's gonna know how to take care of himself to be productive at that at that age. Actually, you know, you you talked about LeBron. There was a point last night in the game. I was wondering what he was doing. But then the fourth quarter came and LeBron showed up again. It's almost Doug like he paces himself. You know, he knows the moment in the game when he has to strike. And, you know, in the first quarter, he let Anthony Davis do all the work. In the second and third quarter, he just sort of, he didn't float. He didn't impose himself on a game. But at the start of the fourth quarter, he had three or four drives where he got right to the rim, initiated contact, beat people down, and scored. And it was he's a it's amazing to watch him as such a physical presence at his age and his size. He is um he's still fast. He's unbelievably strong, always on balance, and just doles out punishment when he goes to the rim. I Right. I love watching a guy and he's just he's a marvel to me to be doing after after what 20 21 22 years at that age well, that's incredible 22 points last night 12 more rebounds uh, he was again at the end of the third quarter when I you, you felt that the Raptors had 
quelled the storm and the Lakers were, you know, they had that, the, the Lakers had a really good first half of the third quarter. And then the Raptors kind of managed the game back into the, into proper perspective. And you said, well, where's LeBron? And then boom, in between, Le- LeBron, between LeBron Davis and the officials, um, the whole perspective of the game changed in the fourth quarter. And you have to wonder what LeBron's role in all of it was. Well, I, I keep, I think he knows he's, he looks around and like that. I talked to Michael Graves last night during the game. The Lakers just aren't very good. I think the reason the Lakers don't have a good record, they don't have a lot of good players. They have LeBron and Davis. The other guys are all, you know, they're bit players. D'Angelo Russell, he didn't right. play, didn't play down the stretch. He lost his job last year to Dennis Schroeder. Reeves is just a guy. Torian Prince is just a guy. There's a lot of guys on that team, but yeah. So they're 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 certainly not championship aspiration, but you never doubt LeBron in a seven game series because he's LeBron. Come on, Doug, you've got to look up into the corner of the Crypto.com arena and see that in season tournament banner, and you've well, got to wait. Oh, these guys, these guys are champions. Come put on, another, man. Put another tally. We haven't seen their ring, <laughs> their bobbles, or whatever they got for it. Their uh, I don't know pendants or whatever. <laughs> Poker chains, whatever they got for winning them. Boy, I, I mean, I, I was laughing last night when you were in watching the game. How quickly for, we forgot about the in-season tournament. It I just know, but, disappeared, didn't it? Which is, you know what? To the NBA, I think that's just fine as long as you're creating <laughs> excitement in November and December, and then people forget about it. They're quite happy. Well, but if they I'm waiting the figures, for. I'm waiting for Adam Silver. He's going to have a second half in-season tournament now. I mean, we're going to have another one, you know, and sell another package to ESPN and 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 uh, you know Warner service. Brothers Discovery and 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 ratings will be up and and then we'll have the championship. You know? so I, thought was, I thought it was. I, I couldn't. I was absolutely uh, gobsmacked last night to think that this team actually put a banner up. For a some sort of championship, it was think, it's crazy. I think that was very much a league office mandated uh, a recognition of that of that championship. The championship we say, but the league wasn't going to let them not because that's a big deal. That in season tournament is a big deal, Adam Silver, and they got to show something in every arena. Man. Whoever wins it next year, you mean it's not one and done? No, 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 no. It's gonna. They, I, I kind of liked it. I, I actually liked it a lot at the end. Maybe needs a lot of tweaks, but I think it's a really good idea because it did juice up two months of the season that nobody cared about. And at least you cared about half a dozen or a dozen games. And that's to the NBA. It gets, like you said, John, some streaming service or some other broadcast outlet is going to buy the in-season tournament and it's sure. going to, they're going to pay a billion dollars for it. And half of that's going to go to the players and salaries. So they got to like it too. And yeah, so it's, oh, it's here to stay for sure. Really? So um, let, let, let's I, let's talk about our pal Darko last night. Uh, I was actually uh, I was actually quite impressed that he kept his cool during the game as much as he did. Yeah. Uh, although, it, it, and and uh, although we didn't see many shots of, of of Raptor players yapping at the officials, I think there was more than we saw. Um, but then. The the post game press conference, you, you think it was calculated? You think it was part of what was going on, or is was that just him just unhinged? I think he, I don't know that I don't think he walked in the room expecting to be that vitriolic. 
but he walked in the room hot. Like he came yeah. in hot. And when he sat down and I looked at him, I thought, okay, I, I get to ask the first question a lot of nights. I said, look, okay, let's, let's, let's get going. What about the 23 free throws for them in the fourth quarter? And then it was boom. And yeah. it, it was the, the ignition point. He was absolutely livid. And I've never seen him like that. I've seen him upset. I've seen him angry at calls in games. I've seen him talk about officials after the game. He made a, he made a, took a shot at referees the night in Sacramento three nights and four nights ago. But last night was, uh, it was epic. It was, it was the best, it's the best post-game rant by a Raptor coach maybe ever. And I coached, I watched covered Sam Mitchell. And yeah. Darko, that was the best one right there. I think you're right. Um, I was less, uh, I was less concerned that it was, 23 to 2 in the fourth quarter in in terms of penalties but I was concerned about the quality of the calls that were made especially when they went to replay were you surprised yeah I wasn't I'm not entirely surprised that the Raptors were called for a lot of fouls but I'm surprised that they didn't get a lot more calls like there were some there were some bad calls against them I think the the R.J. Barrett offensive foul that negated a Scotty Barnes three-pointer would have tied the game with 28 seconds to go. That was so, ridiculous. It was a world-class Anthony Davis flop, like world-class yeah. flop. Um, there was a three, uh, another foul on Barrett that gave the Reeves kid a three-point play. It was a really cheap foul. Yeah, Barnes got absolutely beat up going to the rim in the last minute and a half twice that I can make right in front of us, and there was no whistle. It was. What'd you make of the quickly elbow? I don't. I don't think it was flagrant. It was. A, it was an offensive foul. I don't think it was a flagrant foul. Um, and the upgrade caught me by surprise a lot because it was basically a basketball play that the guy got in the way. It wasn't. It wasn't done with disregard for human life. Let's put it that way. Um, it, it was an offensive foul, but it wasn't a flagrant foul. And that again, yeah, you know, I, I'm almost. I, I almost thought it wasn't even a foul when. And me you too. can read quickly. It you can read. Been. You could read Quickly's uh, uh, lips saying it, it was a basketball move. He was just positioning himself to, you know, with the with with the step around to 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 take the shot in the in the lane. And the defender was still the defender was still moving. I mean, gosh. Yeah, when the whistle when the whistle blew, I thought they got the call right, but I didn't think it was anywhere near the the level of a flagrant one at all. And again, that's that's two more free throws that you know in a one point game they add up. Um, it. it it was, it wasn't, it was a little bit of both. The Raptors got a lot of bad calls against them and didn't get nearly enough calls for them. And I don't, I think that Darko made a point in his little two minute tirade that they don't, they don't get the same respect from officials that other players do. And he's absolutely right. Like Barnes and Siakam get hit all the time and they don't, but they don't flail and they don't flop. Barnes just goes in and bears his shoulder and gets, gets banged around and never gets a call. And I, that's the that was I think the gist of Darko's anger was the fairness of it all, and it it was what, absolutely one sided. What was it? Uh, Thirty three to twelve overall was that the the free throw numbers for the whole game? Something, Something like, like that. that. Twenty six to uh, twenty six to seven fouls, foul calls. It was it was bizarre. And I, I I did a I'm doing a story for tomorrow that if you look at it, it was it was evenly split among the three officials. The NBA charts who makes the foul calls. Yeah. There were 26 calls against the Raptors. I think there was 10 by one official, nine by another official, seven by a third official. So it wasn't one guy blowing the whistle all night. It was a lot of them. 
And you know, you take the Raptors were twenty six personal fouls. Three of them, five or four of them at the end were what's are called take fouls, intentional fouls in the last minute, which are just yeah, you know, they just want to extend the game. But other than that, they got they didn't get the benefit of a, of a whistle nearly as well as they should have for the way they played. Do you do you think the uh, the three officials involved, the guys that are talking to Secaucus, um, what what do you think the role of the of the, the league situation room is in in upgrading calls? Is it something that do you understand how the process works? Yeah, I think the I think the review process works pretty well. I think that it's it's becoming a little bit. It's almost there's almost too much review, but I've thought that for a very long time. I wow. do think. I do think when it's last, one when, when it's one o'clock in the morning, there's too much review. Yeah, I do think last night <laughs> the one young official, Tyler Ricks, the kid who made the call on the Barrett free throw, a Barrett offensive foul, and the Barrett three point play foul. He's a non-staff but referee. He's a G League guy who's just called up for the night, and he just wasn't up. He just not he just not enough to snuff. Just wasn't good enough. Ben Taylor's an average official. Michael Cutler's a or, or Kevin Cutler's an average official, and I think they had three they had three refs who had bad nights. Yeah. And you can get away with one having a bad night, but when all three have off off nights, some team's going to get screwed. And last night it was Toronto. Do you think that it was it played a factor that the game was in Los Angeles and the opposition was the Lakers, one of the high profile teams in the NBA? I don't think they go into the game thinking that. But I think once the game goes on, you see it's LeBron, and you you're reluctant to blow the whistle. Right. You're less. You're more willing to blow the whistle against Emmanuel quickly or RJ Barrett or Scotty Barnes. Right. I don't think it's in, I don't think it's intentional, but I think it's there. And it wasn't like the crowd was all in the game either. The crowd didn't, the crowd at a Laker game is really boring. Frankly, it doesn't have a lot of juice to it. I think the refs just, I don't think they, I'm not sure they get intimidated by LeBron, but they get intimidated by the circumstance. And last night they all, they each did at least one time. And you add that up, and it's four, five, six calls, and that changes the game. I'll tell you what what I was surprised at. As you mentioned, as everybody saw, I think, you know, the Raptors coach went crazy after the game. But he didn't go crazy during the game, did he? Right. No, he, he wasn't. And I don't hate to use the comparison because they're entirely different guys, but he wasn't Nick. He wasn't right. Nick. And I think that's good. Because I think you, I think we saw last year with this – basically much the same group when Nick would get going, the players would get all upset and it would impact the way they played. It didn't last night. They played through all the crap to their credit. Now, should Darko have taken a technical foul at some point in the game? I can't think of one spot rethinking the game where it would have worked. There are times, as you guys know, where coaches do stuff intentionally to fire their guys up. In hockey, in baseball, a manager gets thrown out, a hockey referee or hockey coach will scream and get a misconduct or get a bench penalty or something. NBA coaches get technicals just to change the tempo, change the mood. Yeah. I don't think there was, I don't, I can't remember now looking back through the game, a point where I thought, okay, Darko, you got to take, you got to take a T right now to calm this down and make your case. And maybe should have, but I don't think that's one, I don't think it's in its nature. And two, I'm quite fine with that because it doesn't get the players riled up like it did when Nick did it all last year or all five. Well, and, I, and, and quite frankly, I think Darko has enough of a sense of the game that you, you're you not giving the Lakers another chance to hit a free throw. No, you're not. Uh, like, it, you're it, not was such a, it was such a tight game. You're yeah, not going to give that up. 
and you don't want to let the crowd get in it, and you don't want to get your own players riled up. You just right. and for the Raptors, every time they got down eight, they came back. So it so it worked. His his strategy, his style worked, and I think. But I do know. I talked to a bunch of players after there a few players after the game. There's a lot of support. There's a lot of appreciation for what he did and the way he did it with the with the post game uh, press conference. The do players, you think he'll be? I I assume he will not be suspended. Do you think he'll be fined for his comments? Did he say enough? Oh yeah, yeah. He's gonna be. I think it'll be thirty five thousand. That seems to be the the going rate for publicly criticizing officials, as the league phrases it. I, I there's no there's absolutely no standard for any kind of suspension. But he'll get he'll probably get thirty five thousand fined in the next four or five hours. Well, Have I, you I, I, ever I, seen the scenario where? A coach has done that in a post game, and the league hasn't uh, find them. No, I can't pick a one. Essentially, no. because the league says, you know what, the coach was right. I think, I think the league, the league can say, yeah, the coach was right, but you give us your thirty five k anyway, right? And I think privately they might say, yeah, okay, you guys got a point. Sorry, we'll talk to these guys. We'll make sure they see the the the, the, the missed calls, the, the the dubious calls. But we're still we still got to find you for public appearances more than anything else. Yeah. Well, I, I I mean I think that that's the nature now of uh, every major professional sports in North America, is that uh, there's an expectation of coaches and managers and to maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent players is to be ambassadors for the game and you know no matter how and and if you're going to vent, I mean vent today. With a with with a Zoom call with the with the officiating department in in New York and Masai should be phoning Adam Silver and saying Adam, what are you doing about this? Are you helping us? Come, on, we got an issue because that's part of Silver's job, as it is other commissioners and other leagues' jobs, is to manage expectation and manage what I would describe it. It, it, it particularly the commissioner this isn't going to do anything. Come on, be, re, no, be no, realistic. No, I, I, do I, I didn't say he was. I didn't say he was going to do anything, Bob. What I did say was he's going to take the phone call because and, and there has to, and, and nothing will happen. Pu- so but nothing, what? Happens, you know, big deal. Nothing happens publicly. I know that I know that Mazai and Bobby have made several calls to the league office over the past year or so about this very issue. Respect for their players, the calls that they get or don't get, and they. I'm sure both of them or one of them was on the phone this morning to Joe Dumars, the director, the vice president of discipline and officials to say, hey, come on, take a look at this and, and talk to these guys and t- tell the tell the officials. Like I, officials in the NBA, I I I have a I like I think they have a very, very hard job and they do it very, very, very well. Three guys had bad nights last night. But I'll tell you, every call they make in every game they officiate is graded. So yeah. there are there are repercussions. The repercussions are assignments playoff assignments which are like bonus money so they are they are held to a standard that i don't think the public quite understands i know the public sees the last two minute report which to me is garbage because you should do the first 46 if you're gonna do the last 30 last two but every official every call every official makes in every game he works she works gets graded by the league office i think of the four sports in north america it's the toughest to to officiate i really do I think it's hard to manage the game because you can blow the whistle on every play. Every well, play. That, you know, it, it every is ten seconds, and you can't you and can't I, do that because the game is unwatchable. 
Right. Well, as I said, I, I got I got worried in the second half for, with with the amount of video review that was put in place last night. Um, I got concerned that it was going to take a longer time than it did. The only reason it didn't was that Darko used his last one and he couldn't challenge anything else. I think the fourth quarter took 44 minutes. Wow. That's crazy. You should play quarters in 27 minutes. I think it took 40 or 44 minutes to play that fourth quarter. Yeah. Hey, uh, we don't have video review. We, We don't have video review on this podcast, but we do have breaks. And that's Doug Smith in Los Angeles. Bob McCowan's in Mississauga. I'm somewhere in the GTA. We'll be back after this. Welcome back with uh, Doug Smith, uh, who's following the rap. Question, please. Why are you? What is your name, sir? Bob McCowan. And uh, so is the podcast. And you work for me, by the way. Um, Can you identify exactly why Smith's location and my location were identified? But yours was not. When did, you they put, after you? when did they put when did they put you in witness protection? I didn't know that. Where did it exactly. go? <laughs> I, I since I joined this podcast, I think I've been in witness protection. So <laughs> Well, you should be. <laughs> what what for stealing money? Come on. Somewhere in the That's somewhere in the GTA. Yeah. <laughs> That's not right. So um uh, give us your thoughts on the road trip. Has it gone as expected? They played really well. Like they, they could legitimately could have beaten Sacramento and the Lakers. They could be they could be legit four and zero on this trip right now instead of two and two. And I think they're they're the Raptors are playing very very well. Um, no, they haven't been rewarded with it with wins. You know, the Sacramento game was a really good game, and they were they were right in it till the last ten seconds, and they really should have like they should have won last night's game. So it's coming along, and I. I know the record is not that good. They're still what seven games below five hundred, and they're still mm-hmm. scraping to get even into the play-in portion of the season of the playoffs. But there's reason to be a little bit optimistic about where this team is at this point in this year. They're certainly not legitimate championship contenders, but they were never going to be. This is always about a year to grow, a year to figure out what's who plays well with who, what Barnes is was a big question coming into the season. Those questions are all being answered in the affirmative, and I think they're in a really good spot right now. Um, I do think there obviously there's holes to fill. The bench still isn't good enough. They still don't shoot enough. I don't think they don't shoot well enough. I don't think as a group, although they're scoring, I think in the last six games they're averaging like 127 points a night, which is pretty darn good, even in this day's this day and age of the NBA. So I, I kind of like where this team is. It's got it. There are pieces that there are holes that have to be filled, no question. But for what it is and where it was going to go this year, I think they're right on track. That's all true. But this is not a team that anybody can expect to make any progress in the playoffs. Well, I don't this, know. They can, win a, they can win a playoff series against the right matchup. They're as good as outside of outside of Boston and maybe Philadelphia. They're as good as any team in the East. They can they can win a playoff series against Milwaukee. I don't know how you could say that. I mean, this is a team that is, you know, fifteen games below that that kind of competition. They're, already, they're not all that far. They're not all that far out of like fifth, and they've lost a lot of games they probably should have won. And in a seven game series, they're as good as the Knicks. They're as good as uh, um, Atlanta. They're as I don't as- know. 
I don't know. Ananobi's pretty. Ananobi's made the Knicks pretty good. They're five and zero. One hundred percent. And when when Tibbs plays them forty two minutes a night and he pops a hamstring in the first of March, then there's going to be issues there. And yeah, they got the Knicks got a great bounce off that trade, and they're really good. Do either of you think that if Ananobi was still in Toronto, the Raptors would be two and two on this road trip? No, I don't. Probably not. No, probably not. Right. No. And Ananobi's appearance in New York has been. You know, non-impactful for the most part. Oh, oh I, don't I don't know about that. that Nick's haven't lost yet. Nick's haven't lost since he got there. He's so ever- what? So what? That happens. He's a he's a really good piece for the Knicks. A really he really can run good for mayor piece. right now. Are you kidding me? Well, I think that's all. <laughs> you know how you know how New York goes and ebbs and flows. He's the most popular player on the court right now. Now that said, I think the Knicks are. I don't think the Knicks are deep enough, or particularly deep. And I'm not sure that I'm still not a huge Julius Randle guy. But OG was a great pickup for them. And just like Quickly and Barrett were great pickups, this is one of the trades that is truly benefited both teams in the short term and probably the long term. Quickly better than you uh, – you've we watched him play a few games now, quickly better than you thought he was? Yeah. I, he was – he never got a chance to play that much, play significant minutes right. in New York because I agree. behind Jalen Brunson. And right. a chance to let him run the show. Like he's a really good shooter. He's a much better three-point shooter than I thought, even though his, his stats coming in were pretty good. But when he takes a shot, you, you fully expect everyone to go in. And I, what I like is the way he runs a team. Like I didn't, you know, we didn't, I didn't see the Knicks an awful lot. I didn't know a lot, awful lot about him. But he gets them organized. He gets the ball to the right people at the right time in the right spot. And he just has, it's just something about the kid. He's always up. He's always kind of uh, positive. He's uh, sort of uh, effortless. He looks like he's happy, Doug. He's happy. He's having fun. And I think there was a lot of fun missing from this Raptor team for about a year and a half. Sure. We said this yesterday. And I think he's bringing some fun. We said this very thing yesterday. Yeah. And I I don't think it's going to – I don't think it's fun just because of the bounce of a new trade and a new situation. I think he's an upbeat kid. I think he's a good young man who's always kind of positive and helping things along in the right way. Um, yeah, I think he's been a big surprise. R.J. Barrett's a really good player, no question. But the day they made the trade, uh, the NBA executives were telling me, this is all about quickly. Because they got to find out how good he can be when he's got his own team. And I think right. we're out, he can be pretty good. Yeah. Well, I and think I think so. to, your, to, your, to your point, uh, by, by getting two starters, moving – two other guys to positions in the six and seven spot really make a huge difference for a basketball club. It's, it's, you know, the domino effect of putting the right players in the right positions makes a huge difference for a basketball team, doesn't it? Oh, there's a lot of balance. There's far more balance there in the last five games than there was before, for sure. They're getting, they're getting, I think in the last three, four games, three times they've had two guys have more than 20 points each off the bench, which is pretty good production for backups especially when you're only playing eight or nine guys. And I think Schroeder and Trent are best suited in that role. And, you know, Schroeder finishes a lot of games, even with quickly. But you, you get bring him in and Trent in and Boucher in, and all of a sudden you got a whole bunch of fast guys playing that second group. I um, still think you need another big guy. Oh, yeah, I, I'm saying I think, you know, Pertle, Pertle's like, he's a big, big piece. The guy was, the guy is, Leading the NBA in field goal percentage, right? I know that the, I don't only, only choose from five feet, but that includes 
Embiid, Jokic, Carl Anthony Towns, all yeah. these guys, and pretty much the highest field goal percentage of anybody in the NBA, which is pretty darn good. And I think he's top 25 in rebounding and top 20 in block shots. There As you a go. Guy who's, what, your fourth offensive option? And a guy who plays 28 minutes a night? That's yeah, he rarely plays 30 minutes. Rarely plays 30 or that's, more. That's fine. I think Darko's figured out how to use him in the right spurts and the right stretches at the right points of games. I agree. That, that, that makes him even more valuable because you're not asking him to do too much. And One of the great anomalies of the NBA is that uh, you're going to play another, uh, the Raptors are going to play another road game tonight in the same building. I know. Um, it, and, and the only thing that's changed is the color of the court. Color of the court, the, the seating's the same, everything's the same, the, the energy's a little bit, it's weird because the Clipper fans are far more party fans than the Laker fans. The Clipper fans are loud and a little bit obnoxious, and they're kind of cool. It's more of an NBA game when you're at a Clipper game than it is when you're at a Laker game, which is like a cocktail party. Are there many people, do you notice many people that are the same people go to both the Lakers and the Clippers? I notice every year, I every year I remark to somebody, wow, what, where, do, where are all these Clipper fans from? Because they don't seem to be from L.A. They're, oh, they're, really? they're far more excitable. They're far more into it. And they're far less, they care less about being seen. Yeah. You know, a, lot of, a lot of Laker fans preen. A lot of Laker fans make sure they walk up and down the court, make sure the guy's in a second row, so he was in a front row, and the guy's in a fourth row, so he was in a third row. Clipper fans just go and have a party. It's louder. Hey, hey, hey Doug, there were lots of years that Clipper fans didn't want to be seen. <laughs> yeah, there's that true. But I, I do think, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the last time they'll play the Clippers in this arena. Right. I think their new place opens next season. Really? It does. It's good. And it is, a, I guess it oh, is a spectacular. I can't even imagine how good it is. Yeah. Well, and it, and what it'll do is it'll force Philip uh, Anschutz to renovate Crypto.com one more time because of the competition of, of arenas. And like the new the new Clippers arena is out over in Inglewood, way out by the airport still. Yeah. Uh, and it, apparently it's... Uh, and, and now, and the pressure will be on Steve Ballmer to make sure he's got a winning team so people go to the games, right? That's going to be an issue with the Clippers, I'm afraid. Um, but it is interesting about crypto because they have put, John, you know, they they put suites in now on the on the lower level, like around the locker rooms. Wonder, wonder where they got that idea. These corridor suites, they're called tunnel suites that yeah. are, you know, they, they change the way we got to go to the game. We go to our seats, we, we go to the locker rooms, but they're also you know, six figures a night or whatever they are for the hoity-toity, for the big shots. So yeah. crypto and, and and shoots are, they know where the future, they know what they got to do. They got to enhance the uh, experience for Laker fans because you can charge them more to make up the money you're going to lose when you're not charging the Clippers exorbitant rent to play there. Every game, you know, every like Lakers it. game that's on TV, we see the celebrities show up for it. Are there certain celebrities that have taken on the Clippers not a whole lot yet. Penny Marshall used to be the huge Clipper fan. Penny Marshall, back when they played the L.A. Sports Arena, for some reason, Penny oh. Marshall was a, was a Clipper girl. And really? was, she was the one. Yeah, yeah. Billy Crystal was a Clipper Billy fan. Billy Crystal was a big fan for a while, too. Yeah, but it wasn't, certainly, it certainly wasn't the number, and it certainly wasn't the... It's not the same, is it? You never saw Jack Nicholson in the L.A. Sports Arena watching the Clippers play, let's put it that way. Right. You know, I, I, I listened a bit to a Paul George podcast. I don't know if you heard it, Doug. But uh, here's Paul George, you know, who went, went, plays for the Clippers and is Kawhi's buddy. 
uh, extolling the great virtues of Pascal Siakam. And then you can put two and two together and say, well, hold on. If, if Paul George thinks of that of Siakam, you got to think he's getting it from Kawhi. So could, could you connect the dots and see Siakam ending up with a new building coming in for, uh, for the Clippers? Can you see Siakam dressed as a Clipper rather than anybody else? I can't see how the Clippers could possibly make that money work. And there's certainly no trade there because the Clippers have nothing anybody wants. Right. So, I, so I it's just draft picks only if they have any. And I don't think they have they, any they left. They left. They traded them all away with Paul George. And there's ones yeah. they didn't trade away with Paul George. They traded away with James Harden. So they got there's nothing there. There's no fit there at all. I think the, the fits for Siakam are, as a free agent, I think Orlando, I think San Antonio, I think Dallas would have a lot of interest. I'm not sure what they would have to offer in a trade. The other teams with money are like Detroit, and Pascal's never going to Detroit a million years and get his brains beat in for five more years. Um, Indiana's interesting a little bit maybe, but hmm. there is a market. He's going to get paid. Pascal's going to get paid, just a matter where and for how long. Two other stories before we let you go. Um, Draymond Green. What you were around uh, the Bay Area when he had his press conference and threatened to retire, and Adam Silver said he talked. Or he said Adam Silver talked about it. What do you make of this? The the latest in the Draymond Green saga. Well, the last time I was here, we talked about it for you and Richard. Remember, but that was the day. It was the day after he had uh, choked the guy. Or got a That's right. That's the suspension. I I don't know. I, the sense I got being around the Warriors for two days of the practice day and the game day was. They're awful. Just there's a lot of tiredness. A lot of people are tired of Draymond, and they support him. Obviously, they publicly they have to because that's what they do. But there's a lot of rolled eyes, and you wonder how much how many lives that cat's got left because you know that team is that team's in a bad. I don't that team's weird right now. They don't seem to like each other. There's a lot I think issues between the front office and the basketball team that aren't easily resolved um and i think it's bob a, myers did a lot of things behind the scenes there he it, did it, for it, sure and all, and you know what you're not sure about the mike dunleavy steve kerr relationship you don't yeah. know about the lacobe uh kerr relationship anymore and i could i can certainly see significant change there between now and the start of next season like like significant um change coach change one of the stars gone change Andrew Wiggins is in some kind of weird funk that's just enveloped him all year. He's got to get moved probably, although I think his contract is almost unmovable. But there's a lot of stuff going on in Golden State that's going to shake out, I think, big time between now and next September. Yeah, And the the other one is uh, Eric Spolstra. Here, you know, yeah. I, I, was, I was reading the bio. He was the video coach in 1995. I'm going to tell you. We used to run into Eric Spolster all the time in Marriott concert, concierge lounges having breakfast when he was out doing video advanced scouting back in wow. 95, 96. Got to know him and a little how, bit back then. And and correct me if I'm wrong, eight years, $120 million contract. That's the number we heard last night. Yeah, eight years is right. 120 we heard a bunch, like, from a bunch of people, so it must be true. That's 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 crazy good money. That's like there's twenty. There, there's twenty nine other coaches going. Go you, Eric. Go. Yeah, good for him. And you know what? He deserves it. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a really really good basketball coach. Good leader of men. Good um, focused guy. Just he he gets the job done. His team always wins. 
And I think the he's a heat lifer. And this is it's a good thing. I think it's great. I think he's I mean he's a good guy, well deserved. Eight years a long time. But now it basically ensures that he'll spend his entire professional NBA career with one franchise, which is for a coach, that's pretty darn impressive. Another yeah. another bold move by Pat Riley. I just Pat Riley does he do does he do anything wrong ever? This is like this is like locking. This is like an annuity. This is like taking care of your guy, and he's taking care of <laughs> for the rest of his career. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for this, Doug. Enjoy LA. Enjoy the Clipper game tonight, and uh, appreciate the time and travel safe. I just really hope nothing happens tonight. I really hope nothing happens. Oh, no, no. Can you? By the way, have you checked who the officials are? They're not. Yeah, it's like a veteran crew. I think uh, Leon Woods in it. They got. They got. They got. They got some old heads tonight. Nothing crazy should happen, but. Who knows, oh. right? Okay. <laughs> not that Scott Foster's around. <laughs> yeah, no, he's not here. Tony Brothers, <laughs> Tony Brothers is on a crew. And if, if Nick Nurse is still here, I think there'd be a Tony Brothers issue. But now, That's tonight, okay. hopefully, pray for you. Okay. Well, have a good afternoon. Have, have a good time in the marina. You got it, guys. We'll talk to you down the road. Doug That's Smith Doug is Smith. a Toronto star. Bob and I'll be back after this. All right. Hey, so, I mean, I, I made the statement, Bob, about uh, how difficult it is to officiate NBA uh, versus NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball. I agree. I agree. Yep. Because the guys are so big and it, it it's really such a confining space. It is not. It's the way the game is played and what is considered a foul and what isn't considered a foul. And I think we talked about it with Smitty. You could really call a foul every 10 seconds yeah. in an NBA game if if you want to. There is a foul every 10 seconds based on what they call. Or you can go 10 minutes and not call a foul. If you only want to call, you know, really obscene things. So it usually falls somewhere in between. And that's the problem. And then with the momentum of a game, you get into a certain pattern. And if you call one kind of foul on one guy, one team, you feel like you have to call the same foul on the other team. So it just becomes, you know, dominoes. So, but I, I don't even think they came close to that last night. I mean, there, there seemed no, they, to be a, there was a second. They just kept calling standard. fouls on the Raptors. Yeah. And, and the one in particular in the fourth quarter when Barnes went to the hoop, obviously got hacked, uh, made the hoop, uh, but didn't get didn't get the the extra the the extra free throw. But I think I, was as the, I tried to tell Smitty, there are two factors there. Number one, they're playing the Lakers, and I think officials are intimidated by the Los Angeles crowd and scene. And number two is LeBron. And uh, LeBron, he is going to be, his team is going to be favored by officials most nights. And I don't know why. Yeah. But I think it's always been that way. When he was in Cleveland, when he was in Miami, I think he got the benefit of calls all the time. So one guy can benefit a whole team, is my point. Yeah, uh, that's fair. The, the other thing that was impressive last night, uh, Bob, um, Anthony Davis from the free throw line. Oh, my goodness gracious. 
to see somebody hit that many free throws. I think he only missed one of uh, 14. He took 14 free throws, only missed one. But he's a decent, a big... he is a more than decent three-point shooter, uh, free throw shooter anyway. Well, no, but that's my, that's my point. Uh, he's like 80% you know, on the year, isn't he? He is, but well, I, I'm one of those guys that always wonders, shouldn't every guy in the NBA be 80%? I think so. And all that is, in my opinion, is standing at the free throw line for 20 minutes a day and taking shots. Practice. I mean, I'm not an NBA player by any stretch, but I've had a basketball court in my yard many times, and I practiced it through free throw shooting every day. Well, we got to have a. We're going to have a, this summer. We're going to do a oh, live. Don't start. Don't start. This with summer, me. we're going to we're going to have a live contest. We're going to have a live contest. Who? Who a, are you going to put up against me? Not you. Me? Sure. What makes you think you're as good as me at that? What makes you think? When's the last time you took a free throw? You little oh, whip you. Two, two, two thousand. I left the I left the MLSC in two thousand six. So two thousand six. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> and I see. think I made it. I think I made it, too, Did Bob. you put, bring, well, listen, when we have that contest, do me one favor. Bring lots of money. Because oh, I'm not stop. playing you out there's no bet. I'm tired of you mouthing off about how you can beat me at everything. No, no, no. You're the one who always thinks that you could hit a baseball. You well, could I, know, I know you I could. could. Oh, you couldn't, have, you couldn't have got it out of the, into the outfield. Let's yeah, there's go. no chance. <laughs> I'll do it even with my stroke. <laughs> yeah, just the only sport you could beat me at was golf, and and you know, and that's uh, and but I could beat you on the green. See, you couldn't putt. You were a brutal putter. I'll give you that much, but you're not much better. I can tell you. Oh, see now you're now you're hitting below. That's I'm pretty good putter, Bob. You think Saves so? My really, game. really? And I do. Yeah, I do. Hard to be humble when you're as great as you are, isn't it? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, the pot calling the kettle black one more time. McCowan and Shannon on the podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Goodbye.